Welcome to the ERB podcast, where we love to talk about books. At the ERB, we believe that life and faith is nurtured by the habit of reading. We've invited a diversity of writers, thinkers, and leaders to talk with us about the books they're reading, because reading matters, and so do great conversations. See, Christopher Smith is the founding editor of the Englewood Review of Books. Joel Wentz is our producer, and I'm your host, Jen Pollock-Michelle. Well, it is great to be with both of you here today. I'm looking forward to our podcast conversation. I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Clark and Linda McGibbon, and I'm going to give your official bios. Dr. Jeffrey Clark is the director of the Rural Matters Institute at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. Jeff also serves with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention as the Global Rural Researcher. He and his wife, Melva, have planted three churches in Michigan, Florida, and Tennessee. Most recently, they served 12 years in East Asia. And then we're going to learn more about where you are now and where you're working. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And Linda McGibbon is the author of the award-winning book, My Vertical Neighborhood, How a Group of Strangers Became a Community. She is Vice President of People and Culture for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship of Canada, and she lives in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, too. So glad to be chatting with you guys. And I know beforehand you sort of said, how did we get paired together? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, right. we're meeting for opposites. the first time. We're yes. opposites. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We've got the, the town mouse, the country mouse. <laughs> yeah. But we want to be talking about habits and disciplines of place and placemaking, which is obviously a really important part of what the Englewood Review of Books is about. So I'd love for you guys to just start out to talk about, um, tell us a little bit about your story where you live, um, where you work, and why place matters to you. And I will start with you, Linda. Hi, thank you, Jen. Uh, so currently, I live um, on the shores of Lake Ontario, and I live between two key rivers that flow down into Lake Ontario. Um, it's the traditional home of many First Nations in Canada, so the Anishinaabeg, the Wendat are just two of those, and it's a traditional gathering meeting place for those people. So um, I ended up there 10 years ago um, because I was invited to move to Toronto by the organization I work for, by InterVarsity. And I lived kind of a rural life, uh, small town, big property. One of the things I prayed for was that I could live close to nature, even though I knew I was going to live in Toronto, which is a big city. And I ended up finding a condo that was close to the lake. And so so I, I moved from a house in a big on a big yard uh, to a condo uh, in a big city and I'm surrounded right now um, by, by there is a lot of nature but there's also like 25 condos mm. that have sprung up in even just the last 10 years so um, that's a bit about where I live um, I work for InterVarsity um, in a role called people in culture so I'm overseeing a, a team of folks and trying to think about how do we create a healthy culture for our people? Uh, how do we think about how to do ministry in this day and age? Mm. Um, and then I have a background in writing as a journalist. So um, seven years ago, started seven or eight years ago, started writing the stories of the things that were happening in my condo, which is how the book came to be. As I told people stories about what was happening in my neighborhood, you know, you kind of hear that. Why didn't you write that? Why didn't you write that? So. I was fortunate enough to do that and have Ivy publish it two years ago. And so the book is all about um, 10 friends I became, 10 people in my condo who became very good friends. Mm. Very different people, uh, but it was sparked out of trying to figure out how to love my neighbors. 
in the place that I lived. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share like any of the stories that were early candidates for the book when you would tell people and they say you have to write that? Um, sure. Um, maybe one of the most interesting ones. So one of um, a, a fellow Christian moved into the building around the same time I did, and she ended up on the same floor as me. Mm-hmm. Bookends at the end of the each. We decided we would host a Monday night dinner every single Monday night. And we did that for about five years. It's just an open door policy. Anybody could come. The, the idea was basically, you know, Monday nights are kind of the down night of the week. People come home, they're back at work. They're... So we opened this, the door to anybody who would come. And anybody did come. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we would describe it as the most dysfunctional family dinner party you could possibly imagine. We had no rules. Like you could talk about anything. And people did talk about everything. Uh, not everybody liked that. So some people stopped coming, um, but there were nights when I just sort of used to cringe internally at what was happening in the conversation as people would share some of their wild escapades. Um, or, you know, we, one night we had a man there who was a widower whose wife had died, but said to us, I'm quite sure my wife is sitting in that chair that's empty over there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking Jesus is sitting in that chair. <laughs> got that chair covered <laughs> anyway that's just one example wow. but of a lonely man coming though and enjoying dinner with us mm. which we were happy to have him come mm. so ministry yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. table ministry table ministry absolutely mm. yeah a lot happened around food it, my book has a lot of food in it so mm. yeah favorite kind of book yeah <laughs> truthfully <laughs> it makes you hungry when you read it <laughs> Jeff tell us about the places you have invested your life in well, first of all, I grew up in southern middle Tennessee, where, I told, where Appalachia ends and where southern culture begins. Oh. So it's two different cultures. I grew up in an Appalachian culture. I grew up on the farm that my dad grew up on, that his 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 dad grew up on, his dad grew up on. So my family is very rooted in that county and in that farm. So place is very important to, to my family and how I grew up, and uh, you can lose everything, but you can't lose the farm. Wow. That, that was very, very important. Um, uh, the last, uh, for the last 15 years, uh, 12 of those, I've lived in Taiwan, and I did research for East Asia, keeping up with people groups uh, around uh, China, Korea, Taiwan, Japan, uh, Mongolia, in, in that area. Because of that job, they asked me to come uh, to the United States, and I work now, let's say, with Wheaton College and with the International Mission Board, where I do uh, research and training about rural work around the world. So uh, that's my thing. I, I met this morning with a man who's a leader of the Dirt Roads Network, uh, a Wesleyan group out in Kansas, Nebraska area, and so that's. That's my job is doing research for that, helping people to be effective doing ministry in rural settings because it's it's literally the opposite of what you have in urban situations. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, tra- if you grew up, say in in Toronto, and you went to seminary, and then you find yourself out in Western Nebraska, you're going, I don't know anything about how this works, and so that's part of what I do is help people to understand that. Mm. 
Okay, let's just take that example. You dropped a Torontonian in the middle of Nebraska. What are the, some of the first things that you teach them about loving and living in a rural place? Well, the first thing is everything works off of relationships. Uh, church works off of relationships. In an urban area, in a larger church, everything works off of process, process-oriented churches. So. You go to a rural church and Aunt Sadie sings every minute. It's terrible. <laughs> she, she sings terrible. It's off key. But she does it month after month. And you're the you're young pastor and after about five months you pull a deacon aside that you become friends with and say, Aunt Sadie can't sing. And they go, we know. You know it, but you let her do it. Because performance is very important in a process-oriented church. But in a relationship-oriented church, nobody would tell her she can't sing anymore. It would kill her. And nobody's going to hurt her feelings. So you let people do things. Maybe they're not the best at their job, but they've done it for years. Finances, singing, whatever it is. But it's more important to keep the relationship than to have good finances. Mm. Uh, it's probably a lesson that urban churches could yeah. learn as yeah. well. Right. And I'll give you an example for urban church um, when you go as a missionary when you go into a city one thing you do is you try to map your city figure out where the different people groups are in the city and that's very difficult but evangelism is very easy you just you can go down the street and you can witness to somebody if you make them mad there's no problem there's another one right behind them I can stand on the street corner in Toronto and just witness and witness and witness and I can make 150 people mad and the next day I can go back out there and do it again. Mm. And, it, and it has no effect on my church. In a rural situation, mapping your city, uh, your village is very easy. Everybody's related to one another. They're all the same ethnic, same economic. Everything's the same. But witnessing is very difficult. Uh, you have to start with whoever the leader is in, in, in a village, a town. Whether in the U.S. it might be a mayor in a village. Uh, in Africa it might be a tribal chief. But you start with that person. And if you witness to that person and make them mad, you've also made the principal of the school, his wife, mad, the chief of police, his brother-in-law, mad, the owner of the park store in town, who's his cousin, and, and the network makes it very difficult to do evangelism using traditional methods. All, all the methods you learn of doing evangelism come from urban, suburban settings. And so that's what I mean by it's all upside down. Mm. And so trying to teach somebody, you got to develop relationships. Uh, my thing is, in order to be successful in a rural church, you have to drink gallons of coffee. <laughs> bad coffee. Very bad coffee. Very bad coffee. <laughs> Strong coffee. With probably like powdered creamer too. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so, so if you do pour over... You got to be ready for Nescafe okay. and Folgers. <laughs> Folgers is the good, it's good stuff. <laughs> right. it's, like, it's so interesting. I mean, Linda, what would you say about the kinds of habits of neighborliness that a city requires, and what was your learning curve coming from Nova Scotia? Yeah, um, I I made a decision when I came to Toronto um, that I would try to make friends with the people that I lived among. And I did that because I had read Michael Frost. I'd heard Michael Frost, the missiologist from Australia, speak 20 years ago um, about moving into a community with fellow Christians and trying to figure out how do we become friends, how do we serve. 
and it had always been in my head how would I do this but you know in in my in my life back when I was living in New Brunswick I was involved in a church I kind of had a group of friends I had all these things that occupied my time already when I when I when I got to Toronto and I ended up in a condo I was really I was kind of like what's the protocol here are you allowed to invite people to things is that weird people were friendly in my building so they would say hi in the if they had a dog, you could ask the dog its name, but you could sort of never ask the person their name. Like, there were sort of these unwritten rules mm. about protocol and how far you could go. You know, there's probably eight units on the floor I live on. All the doors look the same. You might see people, you might not. The first party that we threw, uh, two of us, my, my friend and I, put our names and our apartment units together on these invitations we put around the because we thought well if two people from the floor are doing something together that might not seem as weird and scary as if just one person is inviting mm. you so I really feel like while people um, people did respond um, there's a an unwritten rule I think and more and more and not just in condo buildings you know people drive into their garages and park their car and right. go into their house you might never really see your neighbors on your street right unless you have a street that's I think through COVID some of that changed to the better mm. people got to know their neighbors on their street yes. but I would say this kind of trying to figure out um, again it's all about relationship yes. so some of the first people that we met in our in the condo building uh, were not believing not believers but they were friendly outgoing people who wanted to meet others mm. and they were actually the people who invited more people to come because mm -hmm. they just had no filters yeah but this, this kind of tentativeness of, am I even allowed to knock on my neighbor's door and introduce myself? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people want necess don't want necessarily to have that. Yeah. So there yeah. are some rules like that, I think, that mm -hmm. I had to try to figure out how to so overcome it. you have it. to build relationships. In a rule setting, you have relationships that, as an outsider, you have to break into. Right. Oh, right. right. So yes. A, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for the first year that I lived in the building, I, you know, I joined a gardening committee, I went to the board meetings, I tried to have conversations with people that went further, but they didn't go anywhere. It wasn't really until we started these Monday night dinners that we started to meet people yeah. on an ongoing way mm -hmm. and develop relationships. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. You have to figure out how do we do something that will actually lay a foundation right. for a relationship. It, yes. it takes effort and initiative. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things you mentioned COVID, and I am really curious about the um, effect of the pandemic on rural communities and cities. You know, what did you see happen for good and for ill? In rural settings, COVID didn't have as much effect on on place and relationships mm. because they already had baked in in some places multi-generational relationships so they continued to meet um, a strange thing that happened in rural communities especially when you when you look at a city an urban setting and we're talking about you have the urban then you have suburbs then you have exurbs yes the exurbs are the little 10 acre farms and they buy the little John Deere tractor and play it farming and then you have <laughs> real farm community outside of that. In that first ring of real farm community, we saw an increase, of, of a big increase of people moving out. Yeah. Now they can work remotely mm -hmm. as long as they're within two hours so they can meet monthly or something along that line. And so they, they, we saw this ring, which was good news and bad news. Good news, 
you got a lot of new people in your community. The bad news is they're not like you. Yes. <laughs> and they don't come with the built-in relationships that everybody else has. One of the statements about rural churches is it's hard to get in the front door of a rural church, mm-hmm. but it's also extremely hard to get out the back door. Mm-hmm. The back door problem that urban churches have, rural churches don't have that. You miss a Sunday, somebody's going to call you, or three. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where were you? Where were you? Are you okay? No, we ask it nicely the first week. It, it gets a little tenser as you move along. <laughs> Are you okay? We want to make sure that you and your family. Yeah, we just took a vacation. Oh, you never take a vacation from God, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. So, but uh, but um, uh, the, the so breaking into the how to help people who now have a an influx of these new families, and these new families want to be in want to go to church. In general, we find that they want to be involved in the community. Yes. And so they want to be involved in church. But the bad news is they want to be involved in church. We want them to come and do things like we already have set up. But they start coming to church and go, now why do y'all do this? Have y'all thought about doing this differently? And they go, we've been doing this for 200 years. We don't need you to give input. Mm. And so that that's what I'm saying. It's hard to get in the door sometimes. Mm. But once you get in, you're in. Mm. Uh, but and so, uh, I think a lot of people in rural pastures are, are dealing with now this, these new people who have uh, tech jobs and and uh, uh, but they they also have different theology and different philosophy. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out. How, some churches are, we don't even want them, you know. Right. And others are going, we want them, but we want them to be like mm-hmm. us. The other one, the, the great thing is when you go and say, let's learn together and figure out how we can be community together. And that's, and that's difficult. It's difficult to ask a church where you've known Aunt Sadie again all your life. She's, she taught you in kindergarten, and, but now you got somebody coming in completely different. Yeah. And, and that, that's a challenge. Yeah. And COVID has really intensified this. Mm-hmm. So those communities having to learn maybe new practices of hospitality, would you say it yeah. is, is a learning curve of hospitality? Well, you either have to learn it or you, you either deny it, decry it, or, or embrace it. Yeah. You know, um, like my county is a uh, where I grew up in Tennessee is a rapidly growing county. It's got a big lake and people are moving there. Uh, and um, my cousins keep talking about those people. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, 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 you know, we got a bunch of those people. You know, the kind they drive Volvos. <laughs> you know, uh, the, you know, the, they 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 come to all the city council meetings. You know, they mm. want to change things. You know, but it's not their county, it's our county. Interesting. So that, so a lot of times churches take that same mentality. Those people, and we can't reach them, they're not like us. And so they just despair of anything. Maybe if they're missional, they'll say, well, maybe we can start another church for them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We can get their own church. But it, but it begs that question of belonging. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. in a city, kind of nobody belongs. No, and I think the, 
what what COVID did in in cities, and I think to some degree it might be true in mm-hmm. for even the new people that moved into rural places. But we we became a people who got used to being isolated, yes. mm-hmm. and we got used to being on our own, mm-hmm. and we got used to not seeing people. So just two nights ago, before coming to Urbana, I invited a neighbor over um, mm-hmm. in the evening. Uh, she is one of my friends that I met through our Monday night dinners. So and I used to see her every week and then even when we stopped doing the dinners I still would see her at least once a month or several times. I saw her in February and I just saw her again in December and neither of us felt guilty about that. We were Mm -hmm. really glad to be in the same space and be with each other but but I found myself even thinking do I want to invite her for dinner? Is that too much work? I'm going away. (laughs) Like that wouldn't even have occurred to me pre-COVID. I just would have invited her to dinner, right. um, but I chose instead to invite her over for you know tea and drinks and some sweets and mm-hmm. just come over for the evening. Um, but I, I do think that we we've lost sort of the muscle memory of what it's like to be easily hospitable to people and just invite them in all the time because every time we do it we're kind of tired after it happens so you're wondering like what's my capacity for this and it takes effort so and people aren't expecting it as much anymore and kind of I don't know that they're that happy being isolated Mm -hmm. for long periods of time but they figured out how to cope whether it's making puzzles or baking bread or talking to people on text right it just it has really shifted I mm-hmm. think and we have to I think really work slowly but steadily to get back to face-to-face encounter mm-hmm. hospitality in our homes mm-hmm. doing things with people um, but I think we also have to recognize we're all still a bit tired we're all still a bit we don't know what our capacity is yeah so how do we start in even in small measured ways to build that up again um, because the conversation that my friend and I had two nights ago was incredibly rich mm. and all about, you know, how she's doing personally, what she's thinking about. Um, she's, she's from Ukraine, um, what the whole war situation there has done to her, how it's affected what she thinks about God. Um, but we wouldn't have had that conversation over text. Um, but we had it face to face. You know, I could... And I could listen, I could also share what the, these hard situations the world have done for me, what I'm thinking about. Mm. So I was really glad. We were both really glad at the end of the night that we had been together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's still rare. But that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not inviting people in as quickly as I used to, yeah. as frequently as I used to. Yeah. I do think, I do think um, it is a call from God to us to, yeah. to start again. Yeah. Take the effort, take the initiative. I mean, I think, I feel that too. You know, I feel the loss of those habits, the muscle memory of welcome and hospitality. And I think it, and I, and I do think about this question. I mean, the pandemic displaced us. We're one of those families who, we lived in Toronto. Um, the possibility of remote work enabled us to move back to the United States to care for um, an aging parent. And it's really interesting, you know, it's not, we don't have land, you know, we don't have a five century farm, you know, that farm that we've inherited from five centuries. Like we're one of those families that have, I've moved my whole life Mm -hmm. and now, you know, have moved my mother to be closer to us where we chose to live in the U.S. So I think about 
it's very hard to practice the habits of place making and welcome when you don't necessarily even feel like you belong to a place or maybe you're not willing to share your place mm -hmm. you know yeah. to the outsider right. a, um, I'm giving a, my cousin is a great example uh, I asked him how does he witness in his community he became a Christian later in life and he goes he, he's real country well I, I can't witness to nobody I, I, and he's just shy mm. and I said well what can you do and he said well watermelons I said pardon he goes watermelons you know what a watermelon is I yeah but what does that have to do with evangelism <laughs> he said well I, I grow a bunch of them now I fill up the whole back of my pickup truck and then I go through the community and stop at a house I give them a watermelon and invite them to church oh, wow. so maybe Maybe you can't do a, a full-blown dinner or a gospel mm -hmm. presentation, but you can do watermelons yeah. or something, yeah. uh, baked bread or mm -hmm. something that gives you a reason to be at somebody's door. So yeah. I just want to give you this and want to invite you to the church. The whole idea in a church is you want people to say, I don't go to church anywhere, but if I did, I'm going to that church. Mm. They have watermelons. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so I think you're. It's you're an well, I mean, it's an intentional, and there is, you know, I I do think that there's lots to be said about the digital world and figuring out how to connect with people there, but it will never replace handing somebody a watermelon at their door or you know inviting a neighbor in and letting them see what your house looks like. Mm. Maybe be curious about what they see in it, the books on your shelves, yeah. or you know, I have a Christmas cushion I put out every year that a friend embroidered that says Emmanuel, mm. and you know, I think. My friend who came, you know, while she does not believe there's a God anymore, we had a conversation about why I did. Mm -hmm. And just that being in my house and being surrounded by that, we could have that conversation and talk it through together. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we need to figure out how to be in physical proximity to one another yeah. again. Um, and, I, and I don't think we have to be pressured to think we have to do it all like we did it before. I think it's what's God nudging you to do and this friend that I invited in I've, I've been thinking about her for weeks and so I finally you know texted her and said let's get together over Christmas and she texted back and said yes let's do that mm. so I just think okay that's the one friend I'm gonna have in over Christmas yeah because <laughs> you know and I think the same is true in rural settings yes. I, I don't think rural people ever got together as much as we think they did. Oh, really? Um, Maybe their families did, right? But family, not the... families yeah. do, but you don't have your neighbors in. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, as I'm thinking about it, I can... My immediate neighbors, I can't remember them ever coming in the house. Sometimes coming out to the front porch. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up before air conditioning. Yes. And so everybody sat outside and waited for your house to cool off. Yeah. And so people would come by then. But one of the things... Uh, rural churches have done, I think, to address that uh, are events like yes. potluck. Right. Uh, big, big about potlucks. And at potlucks, you sit down beside people in the church, at least, that you know. And then uh, outreach events that the church does for kids and for different things allows you to meet your neighbors and gives you a structured way mm -hmm. to have at least some relationship that um, that's more intentional than, yeah. than we yeah. had yeah. and I, I think rural churches are still pretty good at doing that they're still pretty good at having potlucks and, mm. you know 
my parents say, oh, we're going to a potluck, and I'm going, oh, goodness, you know, you know, 85 years old, don't, don't, you know, they go, it's okay, we're all out here in the country, you know, COVID, Mama, COVID, COVID goes everywhere, everything's five years behind in the country, yes. so yeah, yeah, yeah. we're okay, you know, so that's, it, uh, it's, somehow there's that sense of, well, we all know each other, so COVID's not as big an issue, mm-hmm. But there's that, in, but going back to, it's an, there's an intentional building of community. Mm. Yeah. And, and the intentional learning required to, A, you know, understand the community mm-hmm. and, and, and imagine creative ways of mm-hmm. connecting to people. And I'm curious for you guys, like, just take us, take our listeners a little bit on the journey of your own learning of neighborliness. You mentioned Michael Frost. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what well, else it was, is it, it was interesting when I, you know, I, I sort of started with this kind of, in some way, a sociological test for myself. God said, love your neighbor and love yourself. Love, your, mm. love God and love your neighbor. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm just new in Toronto. I'm going to put this to the test and see what happens if I do that. But as I did it, I began to ask myself the question, why did God give us this commandment? Mm. Why love your neighbor? Now, it's, in some ways, it seems fairly obvious. We need, mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to love one another in this world or we will be in total chaos. But what happened for me as I leaned into loving my neighbors and getting to know them is God, God actually showed me that I needed them. And mm-hmm. I think about what you said about the rural church and you know mm-hmm. the new people coming in and do we really even want them. The, the, the 10 or 12 people that I became closest friends with in my condo over, over the seven to 10 year period, um, a couple of them would call themselves believers. Most of them would not, um, but they cared for me um, in, in incredible ways. In fact, I spent Christmas alone in Toronto this year and one of my neighbors who still happens to live in the building and I've known her for 10 years, invited me to her Estonian family Christmas on Christmas oh, Eve. Yeah. She doesn't profess to be a committed Christian, but she said to me, you can't be alone, come and be with our family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think what God wanted me to see more than anything was the person who is other than me, the person who is different than me is still made in the image of God, mm-hmm. is of great value and has so much to teach me. Um, and I think the other thing I learned was kind of went in with the idea that, oh, I'm a Christian, I have something to give, I have the gospel to bring to people, which is all true. But if I didn't receive from my neighbors, they would have stopped pretty quickly being my friend. Yeah. Like, I needed to be needy with yeah. that. I needed to let them serve me. I needed to receive from them. I needed to take them up on their um, risky invitations. Um, there's a story in, in toward the end of the book of one of my friends who invited me out to go dancing one night with him. <laughs> he happens to be a gay man and I was like, oh, I don't like late nights and I don't like loud bars, but I don't know why he's inviting me. This is really unusual. And, and I, I ended up saying yes and going and then discovering his mother had recently died and was oh, being buried in another oh, country that very day. Mm. So, you know, I was so grateful that he actually invited me to spend time with him and it was a great evening Um, actually we had a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) kind of horrified my mom (laughs) I'm going off to places in Toronto that she would never want me to go but I I think that we 
you know, the, the folks in the, any kind of church or neighborhood or rural place that are like, we don't need to know you, we don't like you, you're not like us. Oh no, God has so much to teach us mm. from people who are not like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. We have a long history, especially in rural. I can take care of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And so to overcome that, it's necessary for there to be community. Yes. You, you, can you can't have take care of yourself. Yeah. Right. And one of the things is you, you can't. And when you learn that, our first church start back in 1987 was in northern Michigan. A little small community, completely Polish. Uh, uh, I've never been north of Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. And, so, <laughs> and, and, and I, we drove there sight unseen. Never had it. We, we put everything in the U-Haul and moved to this town. And uh, unpacked, and it was two things. One is we're, we begin to develop a community with new Christians, so we're developing a new community. But all of these people belong to other communities already, so it's a networking of multiple layers of community that's very complex. Uh, but when you connect with one network. All of a sudden, our church would jump by six or eight people as uh, one of them worked at a home for uh, people, uh, mentally challenged people. Well, the next thing you know, we had six workers from, from there start coming to our church. Well, one of them was connected to some people who hunted. The next thing you know, we had some hunters. Right. So you never know. We, we had a Bible study for a couple of years in the condo. and. Two of my non-believing friends would always invite people who came to the Monday night dinners. They'd say, hey, on Saturdays we study the Bible with these guys. I'm not a Christian, but I like history. Or my other friend would say, I'm not a Christian, but I like this. I like I like social things. Why don't you guys come? They invited far more people to come than I ever did. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing, right? Yeah, yeah and you preload them. You, you give them all this information so that when they become Christians, they already know it. So that's what you're doing. Uh, but again... One of the things about doing that church start was we were so poor. Mm. We, my wife and I, we had no money. And we're ministering to people who had no money. And so we just, out of necessity, came together on Friday nights, pulled all of our money, and way back then rented a, a movie. Uh-huh. Back when you could rent movies, you know. We'd rent a movie. I remember those days. And buy two pizzas. <laughs> and that was all the money we had. And we had watched the movie and ate the pizzas. And hung out together, mm. uh, building our community while they still lived in other communities within the community at large. Mm. And it's, so it's a building of multiple layers and working multiple layers of community. It's not just nice circles that you can draw on one piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It's a much more complex thing. And Again, I think we we have to be taught how to do that. Yeah. We're not good at uh, In the Bible, there's 59 one-another texts. 17 of those, I think it is, are about love one another. But why does he have to tell us 17 times? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not good at it. That's yeah. why he has to tell us 17 yeah, times. Right. And we're not well, and what does love look like? You know. Right. So I wanted, I found myself asking, well, what does love look like? It looks like learning how to ask people questions about themselves because you know some of the young adults that or the high school kids that I work with in my work with university we did an experiment or a session once about if you were to bring people in together what questions are you going to ask them to get to know them and they're all kind of looking at me like I don't know 
what question would I ask them? So, well, let's practice. You yeah. need five questions that you could ask somebody about themselves yeah. to help them feel at home and welcome and like you're interested in them. But yeah. that's a lost skill too, I think, yeah. for people, right? How do I learn to get to know you in a way that seems well, genuine? And I think the, the skill that's lost there is listening. And listening, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and not thinking about what are you going to say next. Just, just listening. Mm -hmm. And for us, I think going to Northern Michigan was, was a, a, again, coming from the South, Appalachian, all of a sudden I'm in a new culture. I don't Yeah, yeah. And so I ask, first of all, what is this new food we're eating? What did you bring? <laughs> and I, I've never seen this before. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what a pierogi or a pasty or uh, right. a, yeah, yeah, kielbasa, yeah. knotwurst, bratwurst, lime yes. jager, you know, all these uh, uh, new exotic foods. And tell me about it this culture tell me about what you're doing and just mm. listening and soaking it in and they're going he cares yeah he cares. listening he cares. is caring yeah, yeah. and so uh, that, and that's part of building community because then they go do you not have these that, where you're from no, we, <laughs> no we, we have ham and pinto beans and, you know pork fat in our yeah, green yeah. beans oh, you simmer yes, on the that, stove yes, cornbread fat to be in yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, to wrap up this wonderful conversation, which I think we could probably continue much longer, I'm going to hit you guys with a question that I didn't give you. Ooh, okay. Uh -oh. Okay. So you go first. <laughs> Thanks. But this Happy because to. we are a book review podcast, we do like to know what people are reading. And here we are at the end of 2022 as we're recording this at Urbana. So tell us about a good book that you read this year and why you liked it. A recent really good book uh, was uh, a Big Gospel for Small Places oh. by Stephen Whitney. Okay. Where he gives a, a good biblical foundation for rural ministry and some practical applications of it. Uh, if I had to tell anybody who's doing rural work, it'd be one of the five books that I would recommend. Oh, good. So, so Steve, your book was excellent. Okay. Yeah, so, do you have? Do you want to tell us the other four? Do you, I mean, or do you have like? Do, yeah. And, and wow. Do, I don't know if I can do five. Let's see. Uh, the other one is uh, the Forgotten Church by Glenn Daniel. Okay. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent book. Another book, uh, besides the Bible, this would be the the next book. It would be first on my list. And that's No Little Places by Clausen, Kosner, and uh, Giesler, uh, and it was written maybe 20 years ago so that would be uh, another book those three would be my my top three great if, if I was going to say you have to have these books these are the best times okay good great. well done well done I'm, I'm not going to give you my top okay. I'm going to okay. give you a recent so okay, sure. I'm just in the middle of reading a brand new IVP book by Carolyn Carney which is called The Power of Group Prayer oh and what what I've really appreciated so far in this book is she's she's getting at how do we expand our imagination for what to pray for mm. and and she's got a great chapter on that so even as I think about how I connect with my neighbors how I live out my witness now thinking about oh, how do I have more of imagination for what God might do as opposed to just my list of things that I want God to do yeah. so the power of group prayer brand new book and uh, I just finished listening on Audible to Surrender, which is Bono's Oh, 36 new book. hours, you yeah. guys. Four, yeah, 40 songs, <laughs> one story. Uh, the reason I would recommend it on this podcast um, is he weaves unashamedly 
his story of faith and his commitment mm. to his maker and to God all through mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched him on a on a, a an interview, um, a radio interview that was televised, where he actually was asked about his faith. Mm-hmm. But then he went to the interviewer and said, "Are you a person of faith?" And then they had a conversation about faith. Mm. And I felt like this, well, I've said to a number of my colleagues, this is an example of how we engage and witness in our world today. We aren't afraid to ask people, Mm. what do you think about faith? And then to hear the answer, to listen, Mm. um, and then respond and actually engage in a really robust, good conversation that's not necessarily like I have an agenda that by the end of this conversation, you're going to believe what I believe. But actually, at the end of this conversation, we're both going to have talked about spiritual things and opened the door to the possibility of God. Mm-hmm. And so I really highly recommend listening to the book, though, because Bono is a fabulous mimic. Yes. And he does all the voices of the people that he's oh, wow. talking about. Yeah, yeah. And he sings. And it's and it's pretty it's highly powerful. produced as an audio it book. Really you know, they, Obviously, yeah. the songs yeah, yeah. and... The music. Kind of, it's yeah. kind of like you're at a show. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like drama. Yes. Right. Yeah. But yes. but um, I was really intrigued mm. by how faith has woven mm-hmm. and worked itself out demonstrably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two. I can only do two. Okay. Two. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, but mine spanned twenty. Years. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Linda, for being with us today. Linda McGibbon is the author of My Vertical Neighborhood. Jeff Clark is working with um, IMB for Mm -hmm. the Southern Baptist Convention and also the Billy Graham Institute. Um, So we are so thankful that you joined us today on the ERB podcast. Thanks again. Thank Thank you you so much. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this conversation and you would like to learn more, please visit our website, englewoodreview.org, where you'll find plenty of book reviews, reading lists, and author interviews. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast provider and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. Here's to energizing reading today.